Thank you so very much, Pastor Rebecca, for leading us in prayer, Chris and Abby and Jaquetta for leading us in worship. Let's pray as we turn to the scripture today. God, I thank you that you have spoken to us, that you've not left us alone, that you have thoughts for us, that we can get to know you and your thoughts. Lord, I just ask today in the name of Jesus, would you please help us to hear you, to understand you, and to know how we should respond. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as we say, um, this is City Harbor Church, a safe place to find and follow Jesus. And with everything that is going on right now, I thought it would be good for us to look specifically at what Jesus referred to as most important. So we're going to turn to uh, Luke chapter 10, and we're going to look at verses 25 through 37. And I know that uh, different we are all at different places of our experience right now, and we're probably thinking and feeling a lot of different things. I want you to just have the freedom to pause this message at any point and take a breath and uh, process what you're thinking and feeling and then rewind it and, and go back and listen to it again. Um, today you're going to see me read from my notes a little bit more than usual. Today it's strictly going to be uh, my words or the words of scripture, uh, but for the sake of being efficient and as helpful as possible, um, I just want to be really clear today. Um, so first of all, when we look at this passage where Jesus is speaking to what's most important, it's in, helpful for us to understand the setting. So first of all, we see that there is a question posed to Jesus from a member of a certain segment of the Jewish community that had come to believe that if with their actions they uh, obeyed all the different aspects of the Mosaic law, that they would be guaranteed a place in heaven. And so you're going to see a question about heaven because they're saying, okay, Jesus, you're a teacher and you clearly have some new thoughts. Um, are, are we still good? Like if I uh, can obey all of the law, can I still go to heaven? And we're also going to see a question about who our neighbor is. And so I just want to speak to this because I think it's really important for us to understand. The people hearing these words were in a time and place of being horribly treated by a ruler whose brutal military controlled their lives. They were governed by a military who killed resistors. They weren't police, they were military. They led some active they, uh, the Christians later led some of these active military personnel into faith in Jesus. The first Christian church included military veterans who had committed such violence. The whole of the New Testament is written to people of all cultures, ethnicities, socioeconomic status, races, who were on all sides of racism and brutality. This include many veterans from the famous battle in the plains of Philippi when Mark Antony and Octavian defeated Brutus and Cassius, the assassins of Julius Caesar. So just setting the stage, this conversation with Jesus, there were people there, uh, military 
veterans, veterans of the atrocities of the past, active military people on all different sides of corruption and mistreatment of people. That's the setting that we go to this in. So let's turn to um, the, the story. So again, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. What should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, Do this, and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man. Now, notice, Jesus set the story in a racialized, albeit spiritual, culture. He, Jesus chose the setting of this story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan, now that's a person of mixed ethnicity, right, who was looked down upon by Jewish people. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion on him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Jesus said, Now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? The man replied, The one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, Yes, now go and do the same. It's so important for us to understand. Jesus has been asked, What is the most important thing in the scripture? And his answer is, Love God with the best of your energy. And love your neighbors. And he's using an agape word, which is a word of making a decision. It's a word of faithful action. It's a word of giving in a selfless way. And love your neighbors in the same way you take care of yourself. And he was, his, the response he got to that is, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus teaches in response to this question, love in action. If you're going to be a good neighbor, it calls for love in action. So Jesus is saying, this is your priority. So if we call ourselves a Jesus follower today, and we are asking ourselves the question, where do we go from here? We have uh, seen or participated in these protests to the, the death of George Floyd and the horrible, brutal treatment of African Americans. We have participated in that. And where do we go from here? The words of Jesus are still relevant to us today. Love God with the best of your energy and love your neighbor in the same way you take care of yourself. And who 
is your neighbor. Jesus brings us to that point, uh, that specific point uh, with this story. And I'm not going to walk through the whole thing right now, but it is amazing to me how relevant the sermon series we did in 2018 is to what we are seeing today with between coronavirus, COVID-19, and these protests. They're relevant to you. And I looked them up. They're still available to you at cityharborchurch.com. In February 25th of 2018, we started the Good Neighbor series. We broke down the Good Samaritan parable, talking about compassion, courage, commitment, and cash and credit. And we talked about the racial side of this. Now, you may uh, know that for me personally, I find that the vocabulary of the word race to be um, not helpful, um, usually negative in its connotation and um, clumsy. I prefer, you know, words like ethnicity and culture and, and other things of that nature. But today I'm going to use the word uh, race uh, in this uh, current setting. But so the Good Samaritan sermon series started February 25th, 2018. If you want to look it up, you can still download or stream the audio and look at the notes. And then in April 15th, we started a series called Peace House, asking a question, how can a home bring peace to a neighborhood? It was a 10-part, 10 10-Sunday 10 series that is still relevant to us today. Um, how do we bring about peace in our own homes and in our interpersonal relationships and amazingly relevant to situations of quarantine? Uh, we talked about building relationships in the neighborhood, which is still possible in this time of quarantine. Help and hospitality, building and repairing bridges, um, so we've talked about a lot of these things before. So today I don't want to pretend like we are at zero. And I'm so proud of the way that our church is already engaged in identifying needs in our community and addressing those needs. So um, it, it's important, I think, to state that. And most of you would be aware of the fact that um, in Baltimore City, um, over the last several years, we have put in a lot of time and energy into building relationships with a wide variety of community organizers, uh, volunteers, agents of change, um, and other pastors. And uh, most of those are um, African-American. Those relationships have been incredibly helpful to us. Um, they are a part of the reason why we've been able to serve our community in the ways that we have um, in a number of different ways. Um, and my uh, desire had been that you today would hear from uh, some of those um, people that we're in relationship with. Uh, but what we find at times like this is that um, people are more busy than usual, not less busy than usual. So, uh, But I, I hope to just kind of guide us through this conversation. So Jesus, in being asked the question, how do I get to heaven and what's the most important scripture out there, love God with the best of your energy and take care of your neighbor in the same way that you take care of yourself. And he tells the Good Samaritan story, setting it in a racialized culture. Jesus sets the story in a racial... You notice Jesus does not say, I see no color. No, Jesus says, I see color and I see the problems in how you are relating to each other and how you are seeing each other's color. And certainly there is a, uh, a hint of including Gentiles in the gospel and the kingdom of God in his story, but the main theme of his story is how do we love God at the best of our energy and love our neighbors in the same way we take care of ourselves? Well, we serve people of other cultures, other ethnicities, other races, 
even if we might feel superior, we humble ourselves and we look for the needs that other people have and we go to serve them. Now, how did this land with the people who were listening to it? Well, first of all, the eyewitness accounts, they record in Matthew 9, 6, 14, 4, Mark 1, 41, and 6, 34, that Jesus was moved with compassion. Jesus saw suffering and he responded. So they saw Jesus' example and then they responded with agape love through a personal devotion to God and a selfless commitment to a common good. We mentioned that briefly last Sunday from the Acts 2 story. This comes from the fact that out of the Genesis 1, 26 through 28, they had a deeply held belief that God, who was the source of life for every human, created humans in the image of the divine. That, so every human has that image on them. So what we see then is that Jesus' followers were responding to the teaching of Jesus about the kingdom of God. Jesus talked about the kingdom of God a lot. Now, Ben, why are you bringing that up today? Well, what I think is really important for us today with all that is going on in our world is for us to be asking, what is God saying? And we're not going to have clarity about that if we don't put in time and energy to come to know what God is thinking, what God is feeling, what are God's values, and what is truth from God. And those things are already in Scripture, in plain, simple truth, objective things that we can read and observe. And so I want to refer to that just briefly. So the believers that you see here are responding to the teaching of Jesus about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God, the essential ingredients that are listed in Romans 14, 17, include righteousness. Remember, that's healthy, right-standing relationship between a person and God and a person and other people. So righteousness, that's an essential part of the kingdom of God. I shouldn't be harming others. I shouldn't be looking down on each other. I should be looking for the good for others. So righteousness and then peace. And remember, it's that shalom peace, which brings each party to a state of being complete and being made whole. That's a part of God's value system and the kingdom of God that Jesus was referring to. Righteousness, peace, and joy, which is a state of happiness, being content with life. These believers, they work toward unity among themselves and in their community. And in particular, the unity among themselves requires humility, patience, and love. It's that working for unity through the bond of peace that we see in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. And what we see in Ephesians 4.23 is that the only way that was possible is because they asked God the Holy Spirit to give them new ways of thinking and ways of feeling. And that's a part of what we pray for every time we gather. Now, you might already start uh, feeling heavy um, about all of this. And I want to be sensitive to that. We should feel the hurt, the anger, the discouragement of seeing wrong done seeing people mistreated, 
Um, we should we should be angry for the right reasons. We should feel the weight of responsibility for the right reasons, and yet not heavy to the point of being overwhelmed. And I want to bring us to a scripture that is an essential part of how the believers who heard the words of Jesus did not feel heavy about this. And it's Second Corinthians chapter seven and verse ten. Um, here's what. It says, For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Now, we need to understand this. I think that a lot of people right now are experiencing worldly sorrow. They are weighed down and overwhelmed, and you might be feeling that. And and I'm not trying to be insensitive, but I, what I'm trying to do is be life giving by help us under helping us to understand the distinction. A worldly sorrow is I see something that should not be or something that I don't like, and I stay in that place of thinking or feeling, or whatever action or thoughts that I have are based on me. I'm the source, um, and maybe. Uh, that would also include, I don't change, I don't uh, call myself to change, and I don't call others to change. What this, what St. Corinthians 7.10 is saying is that what God wants for us is that when we feel sorrow and guilt, whether it be about something personal or about something in the big picture, it should lead us to change. That's what repentance means. Remember, it's a turnaround, a change in our way of thinking, our way of feeling, and our actions. And we will be overcome by what's going on around us if we don't understand the love agreement that God has always been calling us to. And its essential agreement is change in behavior. You may have heard somebody quote Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses 14 and 15 in these times, but it may not carry the full truth of what is going on there. So let's, let's look at that. Um, they learn this truth from God's repeated call to action, Second Chronicles 7, verses 14 through 15. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and restore their land. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. Now, let's be clear. The context of this is for Israel, for the temple, for a restoration of the agreement between God and his people, the Israelites. But God sets this call for change within a heart of David setting and there's a foreshadowing to a new covenant so it is still relevant to us and Jesus said lots of things that would reinforce this and what's relevant to us is that we are called to humble ourselves to pray to seek the face of God and to turn from our wicked ways to change our behavior and then we know God will respond. So we don't need to be overcome by sorrow with what's going on. In particular, if each of us personally and we as a group are confessing what has been wrong, naming the hurt of it, 
and making, asking God's forgiveness, asking God for a miracle of restoration, and then taking steps towards change. That's how and why we don't need to be overwhelmed. Now, it's important for us to remember, too, that God spoke through the prophet uh, Jeremiah during their time of brutal captivity, something that also informs us as we take action on the issues we're facing today, both with coronavirus, COVID-19, and with racial justice, the death of George Floyd, a change of police brutality, um, racial uh, policies, etc. And here's what God said through the prophet Jeremiah during a time of their brutal captivity that was a result of mistakes that they had made, breaking their agreement with God, trying to do things in their own way, and where God was calling them to repentance. Here's what God said. Work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. So what we see here is prayer and work. That's what God calls people to. And what's interesting to me that I think is relevant to us in Baltimore and those that live in urban settings is that God sets this in a city. And God doesn't do things on accident. He, on accident, he does things on purpose. And what is unique about a city is that compared to a, a farming community, there is an increase of interdependence in your life. You are more dependent on your neighbors. You are more connected with your neighbors and with larger things and societal shifts and change when you live in a city. And so our prayer and our work should be informed in that. Now, I hope you're hanging in there with me. Um, take a deep breath. Like I said, feel free to pause the video, rewind, take your time um, as I'm trying to cover a lot of ground in laying some um, some biblical groundwork to our response to what's going on so that we can walk in faith. My prayer is that we learn from the New Testament believers um, and the actions that are recorded in the Bible that they did as they took seriously both the personal and group responsibility required by God. It's like two pedals of a bicycle, uh, what God is calling us to. And most humans tend to focus on one of these pedals of the bicycle, and that causes problems. And the pedals of the bicycle, one would be our personal responsibility. So we might be saying, well, I'm not a racist. I have friends that are like, I think that falls short. But personal responsibility, um, are we taking our personal responsibility seriously before God? Um, are we working personal responsibility? Are we bringing change? I am so thankful for the first person when I was a teenager who looked at me and said, you know, Ben, what you just said is kind of racist. I'm so thankful. I, I, they, they could have hit me in the face then it would have had less effect. I was shocked. I didn't realize. Um, and that was incredibly helpful to me in starting to make a change. So the one pedal of the bicycle is personal change. The other pedal of the bicycle is group change. What are we as a group doing about it? And um, unfortunately, people of predominant majority culture tend to focus on personal responsibility and not on group responsibility. But what, and what we see in scripture is um, personal identity is identified as I'm a follower of Jesus first, created by God, a child by God first. 
before I'm male or female or whatever my ethnicity, my culture, my race, uh, my political involvement, um, all of those things come after being a follower of Jesus. And this past week was my father's birthday, and I'm so thankful that it's easy for me to say that never once in my life did I hear my father say something that was prejudicial about somebody else or even condescending of somebody else. He had made his mistakes when he was younger, but when it came time for raising children, he had learned from his mistakes and he was very careful with what he said and what was in his heart that came out. And so I never heard him say something racist. I never heard him say something against rich people. And at the time, we would have been considered poor. A lot of poor people have hard things to say about rich people. I never heard him say something um, in religious prejudice against people of other religions. I never heard him say something homophobic. I never heard him say anything to put down other groups of people. We have to take personal responsibility and then from their group responsibility. And so as believers of Christ, that means our spiritual family for us as a church. What responsibility are we taking as a group? I'm calling us to each of us to take both our personal responsibility and our group responsibility serious. It starts within ourselves, but it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. And then from there, it moves into every area of our human life. I'm so thankful that this isn't um, an incredibly difficult thing to talk about because many people in our church are already active in missional work for positive change around issues of race such as we have Baltimore City Public School teachers in our church who are working to improve the quality of education so that it would be equal for all. And it is not easy work. It's the work of heroes. I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful for um, John, who's gone and served COVID-19 patients. I'm so thankful for Brian and Holly and the others that have been for years um, volunteering in our prison ministry and our Celebrate Recovery ministry. We've been serving those who are incarcerated in a number of ways, helping them transition to healthy, independent living, helping them transition um, to healthy freedom from substance abuse, helping them interact with and, and some of them, frankly, that have been victims of police brutality. Our church has been involved with addressing some of these issues and trying to learn and trying to serve and trying to help for a long time. Um, a week ago, we gave away over a thousand boxes of groceries, including produce and fruit and milk. Um, we have been at work for a while to address things, and it's important. We need to be allow me just I'm going to close, but allow me to address some big picture things. Uh, make a couple of uh, book suggestions as well as give you a couple of questions to consider and some um, action points to consider. Listen, I know this is going to rub some of you the wrong way, but um, as a person who has studied history somewhat, I think it's time for us to be honest and say that the United States has fallen short of implementing its stated belief of we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are given, they're in, endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, among them life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The United States has fallen short of that. And um, I think it's time for us as believers to um, call some things um, what they are and speak up for justice. 
Um, I'm really glad that we saw Wells Fargo give $175 million to COVID relief. Uh, but I have not yet, I don't, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I've not yet seen them correct their racist lending practices. And there's a great work of journalism that documents that here in Baltimore, not in my neighborhood. Uh, we need to be learning about where we, uh, the nation has fallen short of doing things. Um, I think that, you know, between the world and, and me, um, is helpful, uh, shorter read on that. But another one with Baltimore specific, um, Baltimore specific information of it is coming in the age of the other America. Um, these are books that can help you learn about things on a systemic level, on a larger level that are not coming from a partisan, evil, divisive perspective, but through just an, an honest perspective of truth. My personal belief is that believers have made a really positive work for change to that end. I'm so very thankful that on the week that um, Freddie Gray, uh, the week that his life was ended, that the Reverend Dr. John Perkins was with us. And if you're a Christian and you're new to some of these issues, I would ask that you first read this book, One Blood. Start here. Um, it won't take you all that long. Um, this could be, you know, your summer book club reading, but start with One Blood. If you've already read that and are a little bit literate to some of the biblical issues, maybe you've also read um, about um, the application of the good news of Jesus and racial reconciliation from the gospel and racial reconciliation, or maybe I've already given you um, the book by uh, a guy who was raised in West Baltimore, Sun Chan Ra, The Prophetic Lament. Um, maybe if you're already at that place, the next two that I'm recommending for us, um, a pastor from um, Philadelphia, Eric Mason, uh, Woke Church. Um, I think it can help us to be on the same page spiritually and understand these issues um, a little bit more. And a personal um, friend and um, amazing voice for change, uh, the Reverend Dr. Dr. Um, uh, David Ireland's book, One in Christ. I think that they will help us to build an, um, a vocabulary, a value system, an identification of what does God value, what does it mean about me, and how should I respond, and how do we respond as a group. Now, I know that this is already maybe too much information, maybe an overload, um, and so I, I, wanna, I will come back to just some practical one-step um, suggestions. Again, feel free to pause the video, take a breath, and come back. I'm here to help you, all right? I want to make one other really clear statement as your pastor. It is my belief that the United States needs truth and reconciliation commissions. Now, this is something that Desmond Tutu and others pioneered in South Africa in um, addressing healing for the, from the era of apartheid and the horrific crimes that happened there. There have been groups that have done this on, on different levels in the United States and in particular in Baltimore, and uh, we saw a rejuvenation of it after the death of Freddie Gray. But um, I think it, it's something that needs to happen. You can Google it. You can read about it. Um, but here's a part of what I, I'm calling for personally. Nonpartisan, I am calling our public officials to confess the wrongs that their departments, their employees have committed 
I'm calling that our public officials on every level would no longer look to preserve their own career, but would look to preserve the present and the future for our children, for the people of today, to stand up to their sworn duty to protect and serve our communities, that they would confess the wrongs that have been committed in a public fashion, that they would name the hurt that has been caused, whether it be through systems, through policies, or through the actions of police brutality or other means, that they would uh, confess the wrongs with specifics, that they would uh, make amends and restitution for the wrongs that have been committed, that they would make fresh commitments to change without empty promises. It's time for a new plan of action from our civic leaders, for people from people who work in every level of our justice system. That's my belief. Now, for us as a church, Take a deep breath. I want to land this plane and um, care for your souls and give us some suggestions. Let's ask ourselves during this week, what is God saying? Is there any one of the scriptures that we laid out today? What is God saying? And I want you every day this week to take time to sit down, have quiet time with God, rest in God's presence, thank God for your salvation. Ask yourself, what is God saying? And then I want you to ask yourself, what have you learned? What have you learned today? What have you learned this month? And I want you to write those things down. Write down what God is saying. Write down what you have learned. Pastor Man, I don't have the time and energy. You're, it's too important. It's time to make the time and energy. What is God saying? God loves you. God cares for you. God has a plan for your life. He saved you because he loves you. What is God saying and what have you learned? And the other question is, what should we do about it? And so just briefly, allow me if I may to give us four points of what, how we should respond to this. And then I'm going to spend some time in prayer. First, as I've been saying every week, receive Jesus as your Savior and the Holy Spirit as your guide. God's way, the message is that there is forgiveness for all who believe in Jesus. Confess your wrong, look to Jesus as Savior, receive the Holy Spirit as guide. We talked about that at length last week. Number two, it's time that we learn how to take a daily inventory. What has happened? What's going on inside me? Um, what, what has happened that has affected me? Take a daily inventory and to daily make a confession of our own wrongs, seek forgiveness from God, and make a fresh commitment to change every day. You can do it. We can talk with each other about our journeys with it and encourage each other and help each other with it. Number three, ask yourself, what personal prejudice do I have that must change? It's possible that at some point this week, this month, you've had some memories come up from the past where whether it's you or someone else um, has been a victim of police brutality and you've got prejudice as it relates to that. Maybe it's racial prejudice. You feel that you're superior to someone else. Maybe it's an economic thing. You have some money. You look down on people that are um, poor. Maybe you are poor and you look down on people that have some money. Maybe it's an educational prejudice. Let's be fearless in allowing the Holy Spirit to examine us and, and help us just confess where we have been wrong and personal prejudice and receive the forgiveness of God and the courage and the faith to step forward. 
So ask yourself, and then four, let us work together to identify and plan what steps we should take as a group. We're going to talk, be talking about this more uh, going forward in uh, the future, but we're also not at zero. As I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of things that we as a church have already done to try to address some of the things where we are able. Hey, remember, you're not alone. God is with us. We're in this together. You're not alone. God is with us. We're in this together. Let's close our time in prayer today. And I want to pray for you specifically, and I want to pray for us um, and some issues at large as well. So please just activate your spirit right now and pray. God, uh, we are um, seeing um, sorrow and pain. We are feeling sorrow and pain. And we are challenged by what we have seen, by things that seem, uh, for for some of us, they seem just impossible to be addressed. Um, God, we believe that you are the source of change, that you are the source. Lord, that the where there are people that um, are racist, where there are systems that are racial, uh, where there is a lack of justice, we believe that if we as a human race will come together and make change for justice, if we will confess our wrongs, seek your face, humble ourselves and pray and make a change in our behaviors that you will hear from heaven. You will heal our land. And God, we need that like never before. Today, we remember the loved ones of George Floyd. Uh, God, I ask that you would do miracles of grace and mercy and peace and healing for them. Lord, that sometimes after the memorial service is a, is a period of time that's harder than the one before. And we're thankful that the police officers have been charged. We're thankful that there was a memorial this week. But God, we're just asking for continued grace and peace in that way. Lord, we just also ask um, that there would be a permanent end to police brutality. Lord, that systematically, Lord, police departments around the country uh, would come to repentance of wrong. Lord, the Truth and Reconciliation Commissions would go forth publicly, that that would be helpful, but also that there would be policy change, policy change around hiring practices, around mental health screening, around training and retraining, around accountability, that there would be systematic change to prevent it, Lord God, to whatever degree, uh, Lord, that you see fit, let justice reign in our system, we ask in the name of Jesus. Uh, Lord, I'm asking that you would help each of us to have the courage to allow your Holy Spirit to bring us new thoughts, new feelings. Heal us in our hearts and our spirits. Heal us and bring us, God, I ask, to a place of thinking new, of feeling new, of being healed, of having fresh courage. Um, God, I also ask that you would give each of us inspiration for what the next step should be for us personally and for us in group settings. Help us not to neglect one or the other. God, we know that if we neglect personal change, that the group change will be short-lived. 
We know that if we neglect group change, that the personal change will be short-lived. So help us. Give us courage. Give us faith. Give us ability. Now, God, above it all right now, what we need is your Holy Spirit. We need the companionship, the guidance, and the power of the Holy Spirit to have transformational peace on the inside of us, to walk in peace, and to be a part of the healing for our nation. I ask that you would help us in this way, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, thank you so very much for participating. Um, in our service today. As always, this video will be available on our Facebook page and on YouTube going forward. It's ever ready for you, as well as our past uh, messages. Please do uh, interact with us on social media. Uh, June 12th and the 26th, the two Fridays of the month, we have already paid for the cost of the food trucks. We will be giving away thousands of boxes of groceries. Feel free to communicate with me. We do need volunteer help. We've already raised the money for June. Thank you so much for being an amazing church. Um, God bless you. Grace and peace to you. Have a great week.